1: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving <laughs> forward from this point on, I will not make reference to the PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team.
0: I would be very careful about sling stuff. Am I going to get sued? You got legal on this? I yeah, like football, like football season all the things that go with it.
1: Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, and it's time, Sam, to preview the playoffs. The playoffs are here, and it's a super wild Card weekend. Super Wild Card
0: weekend with Monday Night Football.
1: With Monday Night Football. They started this last year. It's not just Saturday and Sunday now. Nope, you got to roll it all the way to Monday. Six games this weekend. We're going to go through all of them.
0: And uh, we're getting closer and closer to your uh, your dream scenario of just all football island games all the time yes thursday through monday island game weekend just a game it's, it's happening. always yes it's happening. small it's happening. eight hour break for everybody to sleep and then back to football
1: yeah there'll be a little sleep a little Have sleep, you run the
0: math little... are there enough hours in the day for that to happen
1: yeah i did i i built a schedule one time for uh <laughs> for friday night. i actually think i started a friday night Friday through night. monday so there'll be some monday day games and stuff you know well, no you,
0: you got if we're starting thursday we're starting thursday Maybe it was Thursday. I don't
1: remember what I started. There's a schedule. I, I put it out on Twitter somewhere Perfect. years ago. So, uh, yeah, we got six games this weekend. We're going to go through all of them. Um, I think we have a special announcement at the end of the show. I can't remember what we decided. But uh, there might be some, uh, some new stuff coming here to the PFF NFL podcast. So we're going to have a little, uh, little discussion about that. We'll have a quick mini tease slash announcement at the end of the show. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Um, the other news here today, Derek Carr. Officially, on the trading block, right? He's going to get traded. They they want to trade him before February fifteenth. That's about a month
0: away here. What, what? What makes that news? That's it's just it's a Derek Carr said his goodbyes. Oh. to the Raiders. So he put on Instagram, bye bye.
1: Yeah, that's the thing that makes he did news. he did the buy, right. He did the didn't you know, he already
0: do that when he said if I can't play, I'm taking my ball and going home.
1: Kind of, but I think more of the news is it's happening before February fifteenth, before the uh, the his bonus kicks in and all that stuff. I was waiting for NFL media to just copy and paste his goodbye and be like, this is, this is what a source says about Derek Carr.
0: He had a great line where he's like, I know I said before that if I wasn't playing for the Raiders, I'd rather sit at home. That's true, but I won't be doing that. <laughs> but th- that it doesn't really sound true. <laughs> if, if you would rather be sitting at home, then why would you not do that? Sounds like you lied. It sounds like actually you would rather cash a check for somebody else and go win a championship. Yeah.
1: Sounds like you lied. Anyway, um, so my point on this whole, whole thing is, we're going to do a PFF NFL daily on uh, Derek Carr later mm-hmm.
0: today. Oh, update uh, the 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 bets that we gave people free PFF pluses for. The accounts are all active, and now I need to email everybody their password. So okay, they're they're up, they're up and running. We're doing it, nice. we're on it. I just haven't sent people passwords yet.
1: Um, it, it also turns out that I was correct that we were that you flipped the. The EPA yeah, one,
0: but we're giving that guy one anyway.
1: Yeah, especially for his honesty. Because what the hell? Yeah. Um, as I was sitting here on the show, like, I never would have made that bet. I would have taken the other side. Turns out I was right for once. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. Literally us let's, uh, let's get into it, huh? All right, let's go. Was there something else I needed to do? Probably. Most likely. All right, we got six games this weekend. It starts Saturday, 430? Saturday, 430. Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers. We have two three divisional matchups so three times we're gonna see a third matchup this weekend and two other rematches or three other rematches everything else is a rematch yeah so three regular rematches and three uh rubber games so to speak Seattle at San Francisco Seattle got swept by the Niners the Niners haven't lost in months and uh Brock Purdy still a quarterback for the Niners they got that offense rolling and they're nine and a half point favorites against the Seahawks we got heavy rain in uh, the mix here
0: in San Francisco, in the Pacific Northwest. No, in San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco. Just okay, the Pacific, yeah. just the Pacific, right? Yeah, north-ish, mid. We're San, it's no cap there, no Cal, yeah, no, northern problem. California, which you have got to take it what halfway, a little more I than mean, halfway. It's the Pacific Northwest compared to up like the South Pacific America. coast. Yeah, sure.
1: What are your thoughts here? Thoughts on this game? Can Seattle pull the upside? I think a lot of the analysis today is like, how does the team that's uh, you know over a touchdown underdog how do they pull off the upset here well it's
0: game? also going to be you're going to hear no end of how hard it is to beat the same team three times in a season There's, that's going to be everywhere yeah you know it's really hard to beat the same team three times is it or is it just that when you meet the same team three times it means naturally one of they're both playoff teams and it's quite hard to beat any playoff team three times I mean it's it's hard to beat any team in the playoffs right if you're right it's hard to beat any team in the playoffs. It's definitely hard to beat any playoff caliber team three times consecutively. I don't know that it has a ton to be, to do with, like, when you face the same team three times, that team learns everything it needs to know to beat you the third time.
1: All right, the previous you know? matchup, Seattle won 27-7 back in week two, and then they played Thursday night football week 15. It was 21-13. to San Francisco won that game. Brock Purdy did start that one. I don't think that one was even as close as 21 to 13 showed. The Seahawks battled back late with a touchdown, but it's you know the Niners did have control of that game for the most part. I think the biggest story here is Seattle's offense was not good in either of those games. Right? They uh, the Niners have one of the best defenses in the league, and as as good as the Geno Smith season, the whole experience has been this season their worst you know two of their worst games let me just see from like a grading standpoint yeah the two lowest just pure pff offense grade the two lowest games for the seahawks came against the niners and interestingly enough the third lowest came against the jets just a couple weeks ago right so when when seattle has run into a team with a good pass rush good corners just a good defense in general that's when they've done their worst work
0: yeah um seattle they're one of these teams that overachieved generally this season a lot of it obviously was down to Geno Smith and how well he'd been playing but the offensive line was a lot better than people thought it would be the defense was a lot better than people would thought it'd be kind of as the season wore on though each one of those elements that w- that felt like it was dramatically overachieving started to not overachieve as much and the more that becomes true the less good this team is so the defense that sort of pulled itself together for a little run seems to have started to fall apart at the seams a little bit Um, The offensive line that was really a lot better than people thought it would be with the two rookies, et cetera, really struggled down the stretch. Charles Cross had a very rough sort of final month of the season. Abraham Lucas missed some time more than struggled, but when he was missing time, the the line wasn't as good. The interior wasn't as good. Um, I suspect that at least contributed to Geno Smith's down swing in play as well. The point being, as Seattle has kind of gotten worse down the stretch, San Francisco appears to be like really pulling it all together and hitting on all cylinders yeah. at the same time. That makes it a pretty rough encounter for the two of them.
1: Yeah, there's a reason why it's a nine and a half point spread right now. Uh, Charles Cross, who you mentioned, had a season low pass blocking grade in the last matchup against San Francisco, 16 pass block grade, and and that's that's Cross's strength. I think he had a, he had a several good games this year as a rookie left tackle um several good games and a couple duds right and the duds were you know week one and then uh the Niners game and then the Jets game right a couple games
0: yeah I mean one of the duds is having to face Nick Bosa and
1: facing Nick Bosa right so that's um defensive player of the year candidate Mm -hmm. Nick Bosa uh 90 pressures for Bosa obviously watching him against cross or if he flips sides going to the other side against Lucas one of those matchups
0: to watch in this one yeah absolutely i mean nick bosa is a genuine game changer that's why he is a defensive player of the year candidate that's why he's an all pro caliber player regardless of whether we give him those awards or not he's at that kind of level this season like the hair splitting that we are doing to separate nick bosa miles garrett and michael parsons doesn't detract from the fact that all three of those guys have played at an all pro caliber uh, level this season like the reality of it is that only two of those guys can can get first team all pro, only one of them can get defensive player of the year, if in fact any of them. So two of them are are going to miss out despite playing at that level. Like bosa is an absolute game-changing force and even if a rookie left tackle has been average all season long, like average players get their ass kicked by defensive players of the year. Like that's how that works.
1: If Seattle's going to pull the upset. Here's the other thing too, right? Like Seattle they, they like to rely on the run game when needed. You know, Geno Smith, he just set the passing record for the Seahawks, most passing yards in a season, right? Nope, didn't have any help with an extra game or anything, but he did. Um, but they like, to, they like to get Kenneth Walker going, right? They like to get the run game going. San Francisco is incredible against the run. So to me, if Seattle's pulling the upset, you're, it's Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett, right? It's, it's relying on your two-star receivers and the quarterback who was a top-ten quarterback in the NFL – throughout the, this season, even though he had his ups and downs, it's those guys making big plays in this one. Plus Geno taking care of the ball, right? Most turnovers really plays or did he finish second, finish second to Josh Allen, but um, got to take care of the ball in this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, a big part of, um, when you're trying to predict a, an offset, I mean, trying to predict how can a team overcome, you know, almost a double digit deficit in terms of the point spread, a lot of it always comes down to, look, a turnover can offset that immediately. Like one turnover, a pick six, that's seven points It just bounced your way that wasn't supposed to be there. So the 49ers and the Seahawks, I think, have both been interesting teams when it comes to turnovers. San Francisco is forced the second most in the NFL. Only Dallas has forced more turnovers this year. Seattle's forced quite a lot as well. Um, and then on the flip side of that, you've got the sort of turnover luck of the two quarterbacks uh Gino Smith as you pointed out um yesterday on yesterday's show has had a ton of turnover worthy plays and they haven't actually resulted in that many turnovers so 29 turnover worthy plays 11 interceptions on the season Purdy's also sort of on the good side of luck he's had seven turnover worthy plays only four of which are interceptions you can think of at least two off the top of your head one of them in Seattle right Quandre Diggs where he threw the ball right to him never saw him in the middle of the field and that was right before halftime as well like that would have been a big swing in momentum Um, didn't get punished for it so these are the kinds of plays that can change the outcome of games like if Geno gets lucky in this game again doesn't have anything punish him and if Brock Purdy finally gets punished for one of his uh, or not finally but if he gets punished for one of his that didn't get punished the last time that can swing things back in Seattle's favor on the other hand like, if it goes the other way, this could be a blowout. It's interesting.
1: I think I, I glanced at uh, an email we got just before the show, but I think the, the premise of it was uh, Brock Purdy's weaknesses and the first time he's going to have to face a team for the second time. So what would be something you would do with Brock Purdy maybe the second time around? Is this? I mean, I'm, I'm never trying to diminish what Brock Purdy's doing. When I, when I say stuff like, well, he stepped into a Kyle Shanahan system and like, it's impressive what he's doing as a, as a rookie, as a seventh round rookie. It's very impressive. But just like we said, when Trey Lance got drafted, you get drafted into the best situation. You should have the best output. Purdy's been excellent in this system, open throws left and right. He's executing, had a little bit of luck in there, but now I wanted to see him pass that test of what, what what happens when you have to make a comeback. Did that a few weeks ago against the Raiders. Now what happens when the team faces you for a second time, right? Pete Carroll defense and the whole thing. So is there something, um, I would just say maybe Seattle does what they can to flood the middle of the field, right? They got beaten on a George Kittle middle screen last time around. Diggs dropped the pass. We've seen Purdy force a couple over the middle here and there. Do you try to force him outside the numbers? Not that they haven't been good outside the numbers too, Yeah, but With his arm strength and everything, you probably want to flood the middle and make them make lower percentage passes, which is a huge challenge against Shanahan's offense. Because, again, somebody would have done that 15 years ago.
0: Right. I mean, I think the bottom line is you probably need to come up with something different, something unexpected in this game versus what you've done previously, generally, what you do, what your your typical game plan is, and also what Brock Purdy has seen before. Um, Like, they didn't blitz him at all i think last time seattle generally doesn't blitz an awful lot they they didn't blitz Purdy basically at all the last time they played i mean maybe dial it up see what happens like okay if you get beat over the top sure but you're getting beat over the top anyway so you might as well be aggressive and try and force some mistakes uh while you're doing that and hopefully that again can upset some some things by forcing forcing a play that he doesn't typically make
1: so there we go. I, look, I think in, in in the Niners have all their playmakers. Like that's part of the thing, right? It's you can take away parts of the field and this and that, but the Niners have an answer to every part of the field, right? They uh, one subtle, very little thing that Purdy does pretty well. I think just setting up screens. He's very patient in the screen game. You were talking about Christian McCaffrey setting up his blocks the other day, but Purdy sets him up well. He waits as long as he can. He dumps it off. We saw that last week with McCaffrey. You have to cover George Kittle. Brandon Ayuk, who's emerged as one of the best route runners in the league. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, the run game, the play action, the boot game, all of it.
0: And he hasn't hasn't even been bad under the Blitz or against the Blitz this season, albeit, you know, tiny sample sizes and stuff. So I'm not saying it's automatically like there are quarterbacks where you do want to Blitz them. They don't generally do well against the Blitz. That's the game plan. I'm not even saying this is one of those scenarios. It's just... You already saw what happened when you didn't blitz or get much pressure, and you just sat back and hoped that he couldn't make the plays. Well, he can, because this offense right now is an absolute cheat code. It's always been a cheat code, and it's only enhanced with Christian McCaffrey coming into the lineup and with Brock Purdy making all the throws he's supposed to hit. Right now, it's like your, your version of your defensive game plan is just not going to stop this. So you need to do something different, and the most obvious something different, I think, is blitzing.
1: Yeah, the, the Seahawks, I mean, you're, just try, you're, you're suggesting just increase variance, right? Increase yeah. the ability to maybe get that turnover, whatever it might be. Daryl Taylor is the best pass rusher for the Seahawks. He's probably not going to have success against Trent Williams, that type of thing. So we'll see if Seattle changes it up and does something different. But I think they have to. It's nine and a half point underdogs. Where are you going in this game?
0: Uh, God, I'm going to lean Seattle, I think. Do you want me to give you my picks? yes
1: first i'll put my picks in there mm, do that uh harry and i are gonna say harry by the nobody cares about harry's picks i know I've, I've, got, I've gotten the feedback harry has beaten you though with his picks the last three weeks
0: yeah adding adding a seven-year-old to the mix is thrown my whole system to hell haywire i was doing perfectly fine trucking along crushing you every week you know <laughs> threatening 500 and then the seven-year-old gets added and it just it just added a variable yeah. that my brain wasn't able to, to deal with he's eight games better than you Yeah, which isn't to say that he's been good. It's to say that I've had eight wins in the last two weeks combined.
1: Well, Harry and I are taking San Francisco.
0: Okay. So where are you going? Seattle. You're definitely taking Seattle. Yes. All right. These lines, hang on. They might have changed since I threw them into the document. While you're looking. This is still nine and a half, though. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus
1: on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, man, the Saturday night game. Los Angeles Chargers at the Jacksonville Jaguars Saturday night game. It's going to be bumping in Jacksonville again. Did you make a joke about their crowd or something the other day? People were upset. You
0: talked about how
1: uh, I said it was a good football crowd, right? Yeah, it's good. It's a good football when town when they're good,
0: right? When they're good. And then I responded with fairweather fans. Oh, yeah. and people objected to that. They did. They also they were like, uh, you know, name a team. That's been sold out or whatever when they've been bad. There, I think there have been quite a lot of those. Chiefs? Chiefs would do that. I think there's quite a few teams that have been sold out. All right, for I'm not, we're not, we're not challenging
1: the Jags fans here. They're, they're, they're great. Um, the Chargers are favored by two here. First time these two, two and teams. And two and a half now. Yep, I updated it. Look at that. Just, just got updated on the screen right. as well. You just the, keep uh, on top of these things. This is the first time the Chargers and Jags have ever played in the playoffs. Hmm. Did you know that? no I mean given that the Jags have only made the playoffs in 96 97 98 99 05 07 and 17 yeah off the top of my head
0: okay so yeah first time they've played each other in the playoffs I mean it's I didn't know it and it's not surprising okay great it's just a pointless statistic you brought to the table that's what I'm here for yeah
1: um it is a rematch Jags crushed the Chargers back in week four yeah Justin Herbert was ribless at the time right he was all (laughs) banged up or whatever um the jags were were hot right they were they, they were was it week three either way it was early in the season the jags looked like maybe they've turned it around and then they had a lull fell to three and seven and then boom they're just uh
0: incredible since that point he was a muck rib in the the first game that's it which yeah. ironically is completely absent of ribs all full of ribs now yeah the big ribs <laughs> ribless
1: yeah i don't eat those things though i'll tell you that um I probably did something dramatic at the time, if I remember, when we were previewing this game, saying Justin Herbert has become the guy that people wanted Trevor Lawrence to be. I've made that comparison before, right? Like when Trevor Lawrence was drafted, big arm and athletic, and he could do all these different things, and he hadn't shown it to this point, but Justin Herbert had. But now, second half of the season, Trevor Lawrence, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, he did turn things around, and uh, now it's a far, far more fascinating matchup knowing what we know with Lawrence and Herbert and where they stand in the uh, QB Pantheon here
0: yeah this is like the opposite of a couple of games we got coming up where apparently we're quarterback injuries and down to third stringers this is like all right no matter what else happens in this game we at least have Justin Herbert against Trevor Lawrence and that's exciting that's compelling that makes each one of these teams interesting to watch regardless of anything else that's, that's going to take place um, and it's true like Trevor Lawrence has turned his game around from like the midway point of the season last week wasn't great but still generally the the trend has absolutely been in the right direction Justin Herbert like remains a little bit enigmatic hasn't necessarily kicked on from a year ago but is that his fault is that him being sort of trapped in an offense that doesn't maximize his talents like that's he's in this world of uh kind of like where Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers were for a couple of years you know where and Russell Wilson in Seattle, I guess, where there's a sort of generally accepted view that what we're witnessing is 80, 85% of what the quarterback's capable of, but where you, how you get from 85 to 100 is unknown. And the reason it's at 85 is also unknown. So we're in this world now where we just constantly debate, why is Justin Herbert not quite as good as we know he can be? Like, is that him? Is that the offense? Is it the... The skill position, guys, is it the offensive line not as hurt or not as healthy as it was? Like, why is that? And I don't think we know yet. Like, it, I think it's probably, as with all these things, a combination of everything, right? But for the second year in a row, Herbert leads the, in, the NFL in turnover-worthy play rate. And by that, I mean the lowest. Well, like, also, the
1: best. for the second year in a row, in the bottom five, in average depth of target, which those go hand-in-hand, hand, Yes, right?
0: And they are, they are schematic things but they're also quarterback-influenced. You know, there are quarterbacks that are inherently more conservative and risk-averse than other quarterbacks. And that doesn't... This is the Aaron Rodgers discussion. It's exactly the same conversation. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't go and find a bunch of plays where Rodgers fits it into a ridiculously tight window against ridiculously tight coverage. Like, those are there. It just means that over 600 pass attempts, he's going to have less of those aggressive shots than Yolo Winston, you know? Or pick your favorite like sling it quarterback like those guys are gonna have more of those plays because they just take more chances I mean if you just looked at the stats
1: and you he's Justin Herbert is closer to Alex Smith right stylistically statistically the the style of the stats how about that the breakdown of the stats obviously when you watch the film Justin Herbert does things that Alex Smith never could do
0: from an arm strength point of view, athleticism is kind of similar. Like remember, Alex Smith was always sneaky, athletic, would take yeah. off and run. And I mean, you. he was a runner at Utah.
1: Like yeah. he could, he could run. Yes, um, but I think that's that's why people hold Herbert in such high regard. Right? We see the when he makes a big time throw, it takes your breath away. Right. He makes a lower percentage of them than you would expect, but it takes your breath away, right? Herbert is more than capable. Um, and remember at the, on the PFF NFL podcast, we're reclaiming the comparison, right? We're not mm-hmm. equating Justin Herbert and Alex Smith. But if I had never watched a snap of Justin Herbert and I looked at some of his stats, his average depth of target, his turnover worthy play rate, I would say that is the conservative, that is in the Alex Smith quadrant of, you have conservative, you have Jameis aggressive, and you have elite, right? And you have bad. Right, And he's in the conservative Alex Smith bucket when he could be in the elite bucket, right? He could yeah. be, in, and, that's, and that might be just a, a level of aggressiveness that Justin Herbert needs because we've seen how capable he is, right? His big time throws are 55 yards in stride. They're back across the field. They're on the run. They're incredible carry on a, on a 20 yard out or comeback, right? Those are his big time throws. I'm not saying you want him to just throw the ball to the defense a few times a game to, to mix things up like Josh Allen's done. But I'd rather see Josh Allen level of aggressiveness from Herbert. All that said, we are where we are with Herbert and the Chargers. And I I think a big part of his aggressiveness is um, Mike Williams, right? When you have Mike Williams, you throw the ball down the field because he's going to go up and get it. And and he's hurt. He got hurt in that week 18 game. Wasn't spotted at practice yesterday. Meaningless week 18. Meaningless week 18 game. He's got a back injury. And this was just as the oft injured chargers were getting healthy and oft we're finally mike williams and oft injured mike, mike williams we're just finally getting back to full strength heading into the playoffs
0: and uh and mike williams goes down that could be a huge factor in this one yeah uh i think that was the that was the worst case scenario Oh no i guess the worst case scenario is losing justin herbert but the next worst case scenario is losing a really important player of your team in a pointless game that didn't mean anything um for no purpose not only did you not secure anything you didn't even win the game So yeah, now they're potentially without Mike Williams, and that makes a huge difference to that. Like Mike Williams is the guy that kind of unlocks Justin Herbert to be a little bit more aggressive and be a little bit more, let's give my guy a chance to make a play, because stylistically Mike Williams is the type of receiver that wins at the catch point, even when he's not necessarily open. So I think having him on the field brings a little bit more of that aggressiveness out of Justin Herbert that the other guys in that offense don't do. Listen,
1: chat, don't don't say Justin Herbert is Alex Smith. Don't hey get out of it. You, get chat out there. aren't saying it. You you said it. Don't start doing that. No one. Our social team's probably going to throw. Here's where Steve compares Justin right. Herbert directly to Alex Smith. Clip it right now. Put the right copy up there, and we're golden. The Chargers will never go anywhere because Justin the Herbert Chargers is Alex uh, Smith. The Chargers,
0: their own social media account will hammer you for over that. Oh, they, they will, to yeah. Get they get you. They got a keen eye They're for that They're probably
1: listening right now. They got it. Oh, is, could Alex Smith do this? It's already clipped. Right. Watch this throw by Justin Herbert. Alex Smith's never done this one. Mm-hmm. That's coming up soon here. Um, the other part, like, let's look at the – High level, just looking at the Chargers' season in the off season from a team building standpoint, they have Herbert. They've they've reshaped the offensive line the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, Rashawn Slater's back to practice. Right. Let's not overrate this. He's coming. He's designated to return from practice, as are a lot of players because he had to make that move this week. Jamari Sawyer though has felt filled in great at left tackle. Yeah. Um. But then this off season, remember the aggressiveness of the Chargers. They're saying we've got a year three quarterback. We've got his rookie deal. We we talk a ton about this blueprint of having the rookie quarterback and being able to spend. Well, they did it in Los Angeles, right? They brought in Khalil Mack, they signed J.C. Jackson, they make all the uh, all these big moves. J.C. Jackson's been out for the season, but um, there's still some star power there for the Chargers. They get the player number three. You have Khalil Mack and Bosa coming off the edge. So um, let's see if they can put it all together. Um, I'm still worried about the Chargers' run defense, as always, going up against Travis Etienne and. In the Jags, but from a Chargers perspective, if they can get Mike Williams out there, like this is the healthy team that we thought was challenging the Chiefs in the AFC West. And even though it took a while to get there, they got the five seed. Like this is yeah. kind of where the Chargers were
0: supposed to be, right? Healthy ish. <laughs> healthy ish. They're still missing some pretty important players, but No, yeah, they are. I right know. It's always it's usually worse than this, I think is the point. And because it isn't worse than this, this time they've actually made the playoffs and therefore we get to see what this looks like. Um, Jacksonville is kind of interesting though on certainly on defense they've like they've had so many high draft picks recently and thrown so much resource at this unit that we've been kind of waiting for it to come together at some point or they just keep missing on draft picks but this year obviously all of the focus is on Trevor Lawrence and the job that Doug Peterson has done with Trevor Lawrence and how much of that is him how much of that is simply not being Urban Meyer and drop kicking players you don't like um but the defense has actually started to creep back in the right direction. Like yeah. Tyson Campbell had a really good season, maybe not quite at the All-Pro level that, 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 I, that certain I see people the, would, uh, want to suggest, but still, he's had a good season. I see it got to you a little bit. It's, yeah, he's had a good season. Opened your eyes. Um, they, when they, I think they rested some people last week, and Arden Key comes in has basically a full-time role. Like Arden Key is actually developed into a really good pass rusher, arguably their best pass rusher. I would give him more snaps because Trayvon Walker as much as he's the number one overall pick the dude is very much a work in progress like this should be Arden Key snaps and then Trayvon Walker as a as a change up or you know whatever else you want to do with him but Arden Key needs more playing time yeah they've moved
1: they moved key to the interior a little bit like he did with the Raiders um, last week Josh Allen was the was the star he had seven pressures I mean, at he's, the yeah recovery. I guess
0: he's their best pass rusher but yeah. Arden Key is the sort of next guy to Josh Allen. I think should be getting more snaps.
1: Yeah, that rotation though, like Allen Key, Trayvon Walker, they put them all out there at the same time. It's decent, right? I mean they they've had games where they create some havoc. Last week was one of them against Tennessee. Josh Dobbs did a pretty good job under pressure, but they had the strip sack that made the play. I think that's going to be a key in this one if the Jags can create some havoc up front. Um, and I kind of and I hope we get into that shootout situation as much as we have talked up Trevor Lawrence. Last week was not a good game, right? Mm-hmm. They were he was pretty good in the schemed up stuff early in the game, but after that you know, miss some throws in the second half. I think he's, he's got to definitely play better than he played in the fourth quarter where they couldn't, you know, even make a first down. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing hopefully uh, the future of the NFL, you know, QB battle here with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Herbert. And uh, when it comes to playoff time, I like to talk high level storylines sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. So if one of these quarterbacks makes a run, right, they, they win this game, go into Kansas city. It's, it's almost, it's, it's presumably it's Kansas City for, the, for their next game, unless there's an upset in the other games. You go into Kansas City, you pull an upset there or whatever. If that happens, all of a sudden it's like, hey, Justin Herbert's in this echelon of Burrow, Allen, and Mahomes. Oh, or or, or Trevor there. Lawrence is in that, in that echelon. right? So like, those are kind of like those high-level storylines that are on the line here if one of these teams can make a little playoff run here.
0: I mean, I think a lot of people already put Herbert in that category.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I, the, his first three years are comparable to Burroughs, are comparable to those guys. I think Burroughs But, but been, they haven't matched playoff wins. They haven't matched playoff runs yet, f- like the Bills, like those top three teams, the Bills, Chiefs, and Chargers, uh,
0: uh, Bengals have. I mean, I think a lot of people are way more ready to put Justin Herbert in a group that is Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and whoever else you want to put in there. I think mo- a lot more people put Justin Herbert in that tier than they do Joe Burrow, and I think that's a mistake. Oh yeah, I think, I think if
1: you're choosing Burrow or Herbert, right, or picking them going forward, is one thing. But if you said who's had mo- more success to this point, I think you say Burrow yeah. over Herbert, right? I mean, that's it was neck and neck going into last year, and then I think it's Burrow, right? He's the he's the guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, or going into this year is kind of neck and neck. I don't know. Anyway, where are we going with this game? Two and a half points. Chargers favored on the road. What are you looking at? Uh, Give me the Chargers. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning Chargers, too. We agree. Mm. Harry's taking the Jags, if anybody's interested. The upset. I think, I think, I think it ends up being that one-versus-five, second-round matchup. Chiefs and Chargers, they get their, their third game. Chargers have been playing them close. I think we'll see another close game in that divisional round between the Chargers and the Chiefs. I want to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. An awesome concept here, way to play daily fantasy. You're you're selecting more or less than the Prize Picks projection. So how does it work? You pick two to five players, and if they'll score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you against the projections available. So Prize Picks offers projections on any sport you watch. This includes. You ready? Mm -hmm. NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, and they have safe and fast withdrawals. They're currently operational in 30 states plus Canada. So here's what you do. Download the PrizePix app or go to PrizePicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code PFF1. That's right, PFF1's the promo there. If you deposit $100, prize picks gives you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix gives you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code PFF1 at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, look, we're on to Sunday. Are we Are going to do this in under two hours? No way. Might. 15 minutes a, show, uh, a game? We can do it. Under two-hour show here today. Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. They're the 1 o'clock game on Sunday. Oh, it's a far more attractive game if Tua gets to play. I'm not lamenting his head injury. I'm just saying it's a more attractive game if Tua's the quarterback. Um, or if Teddy Bridgewater's the quarterback. He's not ready to go, apparently, at this point. And Skylar Thompson's getting the start. Yeah. 13-point
0: Bills are favored. It's a shame. I mean, I think it is the right thing. Whether or not Tua was cleared medically, I think it's the right thing to shut him down. I mean, again, like this, it's probably not relevant because Buffalo are 13-point favorites, and I don't think anyone expects an upset to happen here. But should Miami progress, we get the whole conversation all over again. Like, is Tua, first of all, medically cleared? And then if he's medically cleared, does the team just abdicate responsibility because the doctors say he's good to go? Or do they actually protect him and say, no, look, you're not playing for the rest of the season, regardless of what happens? Um, I think the right decision for Teddy, or not Teddy, for Tua, is to just shut them down and say you're not playing this season no matter how far we reach the playoffs. Like, take a seat. Your brain is more important than this series, than this run in the playoffs. I think that's fair, yeah. Um, But who knows if they'll actually do that should they progress. That being said, it's a big step down from Tua to Teddy based off everything we've seen so far this season. It's an even bigger step from Teddy to Skylar Thompson and a seventh-round rookie, Skylar Thompson, running this offense. There's just no evidence that that can function against anybody yet. Let alone against Buffalo, so I just I find it very difficult to imagine a world where the Dolphins win this game.
1: Yeah, I mean it's why it's a thirteen point spread. It was it was a close game the last time the Dolphins had the lead uh, in the fourth quarter. It was back and forth. There were some quirky plays in there, but Dolph, the, the Dolphins were explosive in that one. They've done a great
0: job against yeah. Buffalo twice this season. They did beat
1: them right. They beat them back in Week Three when it was one hundred twenty degrees on the field. Um, it won't be oh, this you week. Buffalo sideline. Only at Buffalo sideline, right? It won't be 120 this weekend in Buffalo. I'm no weatherman, but I'm just going to go out on a limb there. Well, what does the app say? Oh, let me check. PFF the apps app. The
0: app says 33 degrees, 5-mile-an-hour winds, and cloudy. That's weak. That's weak, man. That's what it is. Come on, Buffalo. Like,
1: you weren't in the playoffs for years. We get you in the playoffs every year. You get these home games, and you're just dropping, like, 33-degree weather with 5-mile-an-hour winds. It's yeah. not playoff football in Buffalo.
0: 33 is nothing.
1: Just play this in Miami you don't even deserve a home game Buffalo it's 33 in Miami over Christmas maybe not Miami but Orlando yeah but was... that's that's more fun it's like a it's like a worse 33 because it's unexpected in Miami huh. if Buffalo doesn't come back in the divisional round presumably against the Bengals if they don't come back with some snow or some you know single digit temperatures I'm gonna be upset Okay. Anyway, the last time they played, it was supposed to snow. It didn't. It didn't until the fourth quarter. But it was a good back and forth game. We finally got the winter wonderland game. <laughs> Buffalo pulled away at the end because Josh Allen makes big plays. That's what he does, right? Yeah. Um, also, let's go back to narrative street here. Last year, Josh Allen played two playoff games. He did, and they were out of this world, right? Unstoppable against New England in the wild card round. If we saw a similar, I think it was forty-seven to seven or whatever. Or Forty. They scored forty-seven. If they did that this week, would you be surprised? You know, if they just dominate Miami? Probably not. And then Allen goes into Kansas City, and that was that famous game where the uh, they went back and forth, scored 15 touchdowns in the last two minutes, whatever it was. I mean, Allen was, unst- he was on his way. If they had won the game, on his way to one of the more legendary playoff performances of all time. So he gets a chance to do that again, right? To do this little buffalo playoff run of course um DeMar hamlin by the way has been released from the buffalo hospital so the continued good news there we'll see if there's some sort of uh, extra motivation coming out of that and everything but yeah i think Allen gets more of this like you know legacy type stuff
0: where he's that he's playing for the yeah. hamlin stuff has probably reached the point where it's it is going to have a galvanizing effect on buffalo at this stage like or the first week they were playing after this who knew what it was going to do you know, were they going to be ready to play that game? Were they going to be distracted? Were they going to be galvanized by it? Whatever. Um, it ends up, you know, the two-kick return touchdowns by Naheem Hines. And if anything, it worked in their favor. I think at this point, given that all the news is only is good, has been good since that point, it can only have a positive effect on them. Like they want to go and win this thing for Damar Hamlin and get him a Super Bowl ring and get everybody, you know, it, it can only be good, I think, at this stage for how they play. So leaving aside the fact that this game, has almost been ruined by the fact that the chances are Scarlett Thompson is playing, the chances are also that Scarlett Thompson will play not well, and therefore the game will not be close. It does present Buffalo with some interesting tests in a sort of live action scenario that shouldn't really threaten them, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a kind of interesting warm-up game for them. like. They don't get that's what
1: this playoff game is. Yeah. Like they
0: don't get the number one seed. So they don't get the week off like Kansas city. On the other hand, they get to go out there and kind of test a couple of areas where they are, are not the strongest against a legit unit without a scenario where it should really ever cost them the game. Um, Miami's defensive front is pretty nasty. Like Christian Wilkins is playing really well. Jalen Phillips is playing really well. They scheme it up so that none none of those guys are ever double teamed. They blitz just enough to keep everybody off balance. Buffalo's offensive line has not been great all season long, really. They got a little bit healthier uh, recently. Mitch Morris obviously back in the lineup. But that offensive line has been pretty beat up. This Miami front could cause them problems. And always, always. With Josh Allen certainly this season, there's been this idea that if you can cause some problems up front, you can make him make a couple of mistakes here or there. And again, like I don't think it should be enough to swing the thing to Miami, but if Josh Allen has a couple of big turnovers, that can keep it close. The other element is Buffalo secondary is back being pretty banged up. Like they've been injured since day one, really, like week one, they were missing players. Um, And I think they've been missing players literally every single week of the season at some point. Uh, whether or not they have Skylar Thompson throwing them the football, Miami still has Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Still like, tough to cover. Yes. Yeah, it's scary, right? No matter whether or not the quarterback can actually get the ball there, you always run the risk that you... You hesitate you take a false step in one direction you misread something and boom tyree kill is five yards behind you and that buys a lot of wiggle room for the quarterback to make a bad throw you know what i mean
1: and that's what happened in the last game i you know Tua actually didn't have his best game he fumbled in the red zone he got away with a a pass that could have been a pick six um, those kind of worked in miami's favor because they didn't hurt them but when they needed a big throw it was kind of a deep over route to jalen waddle where he just outruns the defense or a deep ball to tyree kill where he's outrunning. The defense so those play they're capable of those plays right it's just you gotta give Skyler Thompson enough time to to make those plays they also uh, Raheem Mostert Mostert by the way just broke his hand is he definitely out I assume a broken hand he's out of there look as a man that
0: also may have broken my hand I can tell you it's uh it's no joke
1: how'd you do that man I
0: fired a stupidly large gun a thump, a stupidly large gun broke. The, uh, the may Smith, have broken your hand. The Smith and Wesson 500. Yeah, which is one of these cartoonishly large firearms. I fired one of those in a, in a gun range, and the kickback was so severe. <laughs> well, then my hand still hurts. I can't say as I've had it x-rayed or anything, but it hurts. Is it that hurts a big specifically. Bruise? Is that all bruised? Yeah, it hurts. It hurts specifically on a bone. It, it f- all right, go grab a ball. See if you can carry it.
1: And then we can project if – Mostert's a thumb injury. He wasn't practicing Wednesday. We could project we if Mostert – there.
0: There's got to be a football in this building. There's certainly one in the – there it is. Look over there in the cage. You keep on going. Yeah,
1: right? you get the, get the football and you let us know. We're going to do some research here and see how well Raheem Mostert, with his broken thumb or whatever he has, can actually hold the ball. So um, my point that I was going to make here is Mostert ran the ball pretty well. Against Buffalo the last time around, they created some plays on the ground. What do you think? You think he can? All right, so we got
0: we got. What five... if I try
1: to peanut punch it? Well, we got it? five
0: points of contact here. That's good. We're fine. The problem is going to be if I get, if I take a helmet to this bit that's broken. Yeah. That's going to hurt a lot. You're kind of soft though. Do you think Mostert's tougher than you, you think he you can handle? I that? think Mostert's probably tough for me. The other thing in his favor is that I don't have like an equipment guy that can build me like a Kevlar shield for that. Yeah, yeah. Like that's if true. he gets. If he get's like a plate for this, you know, stitch it into the glove. That's going to protect the hand from the the helmet shot, you know? And then you're then you're five points of contact you're away.
1: Well, there you go. I think he's good. All right, so most it's a go according to Sam here. So, I'm I'm just glad we we studied that since you broke your hand shooting a gun. Yeah. Um anyway, Miami needs all of this, right? We talked about if they're going to pull this upset, um pressure on Josh Allen. We mentioned this in the New England game last week. Well, we'll I think we'll mention every single week the Buffaloes in the playoffs. If there's a weakness, pass blocking offensive line, number 22 pass blocking grade this season, it's not great, it's not terrible, but it's not great, right? If there's a weakness, you'll get some pressure and that might create some variance, force a couple mistakes.
0: I mean, the other thing working against Miami is that Teron Armstead is still dealing with 17 different injuries that may or may not keep him out of the game. Um, there, there was a report on uh, Pro Football Talk that he um, he was recommended to have season ending <laughs> surgery after week one. Like wow. the doctors wanted to shut him down after week one and he said no uh, he said in particular the thing that's causing the most problems recently is, is some kind of leg issue where he described it as not a pain thing that's keeping me out he said it's a quote muscle functioning issue and then he'll do anything possible to make it back in the field against Buffalo working around the clock blah 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 I mean a muscle functioning issue as muscle a left tackle feels like a problematic injury yeah muscle functioning issue huh yeah man
1: well, it's going to be tough for Miami. Yeah. Um, last week's game against new England. It was new England's fighting that you're fighting they're, they're hanging tough. And then and Josh Allen makes two spectacular plays, right? John Brown for 40 plus yards, Stephon Diggs, absolute dime for, for a, a long touchdown. That's what you're battling against with the yeah. bills, right? Like we, even when you keep it close, a big play is a play away. With yeah. uh, I mean, with Allen throwing the ball.
0: The more instructive game to me from last week is Miami, the Jet Miami versus the Jets, right? Eleven to six, which really was nine to six until the freaky, you know, play at the end went wrong. Um like if this is a nine to six game, or if this is a game where Miami's offense scores nine points again, which it's entirely possible because Buffalo has a pretty good defense themselves. I mean, Buffalo's gonna score twenty one. Like they're gonna you know, it just Something miraculous needs to happen for Miami yeah. to have any shot of winning
1: this. Um, fun stat that it matters not you know, for this game, but again, that, that playoff run that Josh Allen had last year. Yeah. In two games against New England and Kansas City, he had 14 incompletions and nine touchdown passes over a two-game period.
0: He also had an absolute ton of big-time throws, right? Did he have more big-time throws? Yeah, time he had five big-time throws in the two games.
1: In the two games. Probably should have had more. That was when Gabe Davis went for four touchdowns, when Kansas City was falling all over their face, trying to cover him and everything. It was, it was ugly defensively, even though it was really good offensively. But 95.8 grade over those two games last year for Josh Allen. 13 points. Who's covering this one, Sam? Uh, Buffalo. Yeah. I wrote Buffalo, right? Yeah. I'm going to write Buffalo. Harry's taking Buffalo. All right, the gauntlet is open for drafting on Underdog Fantasy. It's a playoff best ball tournament with a million dollars in total prizes and a $100,000 first-place prize. Just draft a team before the NFL playoffs start, and that's it. Playoffs start Saturday, guys, so hurry up. Drafting players will rack up a bunch of fantasy points, and advancing deep into the playoffs is the key to this style of contest. If If you haven't signed up for Underdog just yet, use the promo code PFF and you get your first deposit up to $100 matched. All right, that's the 1 o'clock game Sunday. 4 o'clock or 4.30, whatever that t- start time is. The second game Sunday, New York Giants at the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings favored by three. Two teams the whole season we've been trying to figure out, Sam, you know, the, the point differentials don't make sense. The, the stats don't make sense. The grades don't make sense, but they keep winning. Well, one of them's going to win in this game and move on to the divisional round. Giants. Getting three points here at Minnesota, which is a point less than they were getting the last
0: time they played a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so Vegas has seen improvement here. Uh, I mean, yeah, or decline by the Minnesota Vikings, which is probably more accurate. Um, we did
1: get a couple bets. Um, we you know we did our bet review show yesterday, so mm-hmm. if you, and, um, you should go back and check that out. You know, the the things that we bet on before the season with our listeners here. Yep. Um, but people. There was two Giants bets that came in. I don't know if you want to accept them or not, but one... What were they? At least one said they would win the Super Bowl or make the Super Bowl. And one said conference championship. Okay. Um, I have to find them. That was, I, I looked at them quickly. Let's see. Rufus here said... Rufus. Rufus said they'll go to the NFC championship. Okay. Do you want to accept Rufus's bet here? For the yeah, Giants? why not? All right, let's accept that. What was the other one? There was some other...
0: Talk about the game while I'm looking here. I'm, okay. Uh, well, so, hmm. The Minnesota Vikings' biggest problem, I believe, is that their offensive line is getting banged up. Um, Brian O'Neill, right tackle, maybe not his best season this year, but a good quality starting right tackle is out and injured. Um, they're also still dealing with center issues. Garrett Bradbury has been hurt. They then had Austin Schlottman break his ankle or something, so he's done. They're down to the third string, Chris Reed. They signed Greg Manx, I think, from... Off the street, like they've been trying to deal with that center position. Maybe Garrett Bradbury makes it back, but I think it's unlikely. Their, Their offensive line is a lot worse with those two players missing than it was earlier in the season. And the Vikings, because of the kind of year that they've had, because of the kind of team they are with these 11 one score wins, with these eight comeback victories, they're a kind of team that's been on the knife edge all season long and every time they've fallen down the one side of the knife edge two injuries to the offensive line is the kind of thing that can make you fall down the other side of the knife edge and all of a sudden you're losing close one score games instead of winning them particularly by the way when you're running up against a guy like Derek dexter lawrence who yes as we said yesterday is having a yeah you can make a case for dexter lawrence for defensive player of the year like he has been crushing people. he's in that discussion with with chris jones
1: and all of the all the edge defenders um, yeah, so Nathan Jacobson was the other person. He said he wanted to bet that the Giants will make it to the Super Bowl, which is uh, a step beyond the conference championship, obviously.
0: Nathan what now? Jacobson. Okay.
1: Accept both? Yeah. We'll accept both. PFF Plus is on the line. You're believing in your New York Giants. Um, last time around in this Add game. Add to the
0: document right now. Oh,
1: beautiful. Did you get the other one? Yeah. Rufus? Great. Um, Minnesota had a, one of their better pass rushing grades of the season against the giants in the last matchup the other the other thing i mean i check basically every game a team's playing the giants how's the quarterback perform against the blitz or how did it work out the first time around and uh, per usual the giants blitzed a ton the last time the vikings played it was right around 50 percent. cousins had a couple touchdowns very good grade they they handled the blitz really well and that was when that was the tj hawkinson game when he kind of went off and it was like hey this was these are the types of games you you make the tj hawkinson trade for right you want to have a tight end in the middle of the field when teams are taking away justin jefferson or against the blitz when you're trying to find an open throw quickly a tight end is a good resource and the giants have allowed the third highest epa per play uh, against targeted tight ends right so this feels like not that you're always going to replicate the same thing you did the last game but the giants are probably going to blitz a lot and the vikings are probably going to have a lot of the same answers which is going to be You know they're tight ends TJ Hawkinson trying to make plays here
0: yeah um, I think it's a fascinating game for the Vikings offense in particular like they are I think third in the league in explosive passing plays this season now a big part of that is they've been down big at a bunch of games and therefore need a bunch of explosive plays to try and come back but they've executed them they've hit them and despite relying on Justin Jefferson to a huge degree it has worked um, the last few weeks, K.J. Osborne has been on a tear as the sort of third receiver in that group, arguably becoming the second overhauling Adam Thielen. Um, like Minnesota's offense brings a lot to the table, and we've seen because of these games they've had, they're never out of it. So it's it's how much can that still fire against this Giants' aggressive, blitz-happy defense? And, you know, Kirk Cousins is the type of quarterback that in his... In his sort of history in his previous play, we've seen you can affect him a lot with pressure. You can affect him a lot with the blitz. Both of them he's done reasonably well in this year. Like his grade against the pressure actually is pretty good. His grade against the blitz is fine. Um, I don't know that simply running up against a sort of weird defense like the Giants is going to knock him off his game. It's going to have to be something else. Um, but that offensive line could change that.
1: Do you think the Giants could trust their front four a little bit more? in this game I because of could, the vikings I just don't think they do that yeah they don't often at all but you know
0: just because of the vikings offensive line you talked about i haven't changing seen things it. up i haven't sort of looked at this on a week-by-week basis but i wouldn't imagine there's a game where the giants have blitzed less than like 40 percent. i'm looking it up right now cool um i'm on it the other fascinating thing about like the giants though is Whereas with Minnesota, you can at least point to several reasons why they've overachieved to the degree they have, you know, those explosive plays, et cetera, et cetera. It's really hard to find a data point that gives you any indication that the Giants would be good this year. Like they don't, they're not good at pretty much anything. They've struggled across the board. There's very few data points where you can look at and say, ah, there you go, that's why they've been winning all these games or that they've been doing better than they can. Other than, you know, the obviously really impressive job that Brian Dable and that coaching staff across the board has been doing.
1: All right. So here are the games. This is, this is kind of interesting. Actually, there was two games where they blitzed under 35%. Hmm. Okay. And it was the Jaguars in week seven. Okay. Only 25%. And then the Colts game week 17, only 17% because, and I think that's in part because it was a blowout for much of the game, right? Yeah. Um, giants didn't blow out many teams this season. So, but the other thing might be, if you're looking at the Colts, did they look at that Colts offensive line and say, we don't need to blitz, right? Because the times when they blitz the most, in one of the Eagles games against the Ravens and against the Cowboys, teams that have better offensive lines, and probably felt the need to to create more havoc against those lines. So it could be one of those. They're right middle of the pack against the Vikings, 52%. Middle of the pack for, for the Giants. That was right. their, their median is this 52% mark that they that they – that they blitzed against the Vikings. They also used a ton of stunts up front. They had six sacks in that game. So, I mean, that's what, that could be even worse here for Minnesota if Cousins doesn't have some, some quick answers. Um, yeah, going back to the Giants season like you were talking about, I mean, we're going to, you know you know how much I love the offseason here, Sam. You know, I love this draft season, free agent season, team building season. If you said at the beginning of the year, here's what's going to happen with the Giants. Kenny Galladay is going to do nothing again and Kadarius Toney's going to get traded to the Chiefs and actually look pretty good for the Chiefs. And Richie James and Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins are going to be the top three receivers for the Giants. That's, that's a two-win team, right? I mean, isn't it? Like, that's a, that's a disastrous season. And here they are because I think coaching, leveraging Daniel Jones as a runner, uh, Saquon Barkley's had a nice season. You mentioned Dexter Lawrence a million times breakout seasons for a few t- players on defense, this high variance defense that we're blitzing like crazy. All of it's kind of added up to giants are a, a solid team. I don't know if they could replicate it next year. Just like, I don't know if Minnesota can, but here they are. And you know, they'll, they'll have a shot this yeah, week. I mean,
0: we're, we're talking about how two injuries to Minnesota's offensive line might be enough to like completely ruin their chances. Whereas the giants are sitting over here with Andrew Thomas playing at a really high level and four guys that are problems. Like, this is not an offensive line that should function in, in today's NFL. And generally it isn't. Like, it's not functioning. Um, and yet somehow the offense is actually still doing okay. Uh, it's They're a very weird team. They shouldn't have done as well as they did. So, which one? Something's got to give here mm. in this
1: game. Something's got to give. Uh, Storyline-wise, let's go to the storyline stuff. Kirk Cousins in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, his, you know, he has... He's handled a lot of the other storylines, right? He doesn't doesn't do well in the fourth quarter, making comebacks. He's he's not a winner. He's a stat guy, and this year his stats were worse, and the results were better. And I think there's a level of aggressiveness that he had in the fourth quarter that paid
0: off. Now it's a four thirty game. Hmm. It's right in the middle. Hmm. It's not it's not prime time, but it's not the one p.m. No. If this was Sunday one, Vikings by fifty. Yeah.
1: So you think the first half's gonna be good, and then it's like, <laughs> it's guys, the sun's going down.
0: Right, but it's four
1: thirty. Time sunset.
0: Nah, hang on. The other thing is that's three thirty local. Oh yeah, three
1: thirty's not bad. So he's got a couple hours. He's mm-hmm. Got a couple hours of sunlight here.
0: So you got to factor those things in. You
1: know? Come on, I'm over here trying to like paint this picture. Kirk Cousins is you know bucking all these trends and the story, and you're over here bringing up prime time and. I mean, we were right about the morning stuff earlier this year, right? <laughs> 9 a.m. He made Kirk. the biggest comeback in NFL history in a 1 o'clock game. Of course, yeah, yeah. That's you know? true. Um, but this is um, this is uh, career-defining type of stuff, right? Narrative-defining type of stuff. If Cousins goes out, wins his playoff game, probably have to play the 49ers in round two, gets, gets his old buddy Kyle Shanahan. Cousins has won other playoff games, right? They beat the
0: Saints a couple years ago and everything. But um, it's going to be an interesting one. It is that, I mean, that immediately doesn't sound like a tremendously great matchup. Uh, last time, yeah. The last time they played Hawkinson and Jefferson combined had, uh, 31 targets. Yeah. I mean, it makes
1: sense, right? You have, when you, when you get blitzed, tight end is your best friend, right? He's probably working in the middle of the field. Hawkinson had what, two touchdowns in that game. Mm -hmm. And then Justin Jefferson is going to be single covered, right? We talk about blueprints all the time and everything. Nobody's the Giants are unlikely to replicate what the Packers did a few weeks ago, where they take a corner. Well, they're not able to. They're not able to, right? But they're also not even they're not strategically even going to do that and say, give me a corner, put them over Justin Jefferson, put safety's help over the top. It might happen here and there. It might happen on a key third down here and there. But it's that's not the down to down game plan. So we're going to see a lot of what we saw whenever they played Week Fifteen, whatever that was. We're going to see a lot of that same stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a Jefferson and Hawkinson game. I like Minnesota.
0: Yeah, and it was a, I mean, obviously it was a three-point win last time. So it's it feels like it's probably going to end up in that ballpark. So Minnesota by three, where are you going? I will take the Giants.
1: All right. Look at this, we're an hour into the show, just two games left. Smooth running. Super wild card weekend. We'll have a big review show, though, because we have when you have six games to talk about. Well, things might have happened then. A lot of things have happened, will have happened. Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals rematch from week 18 Bengals favored by eight and a half Lamar Jackson still not at practice
0: what the hell is happening with this Lamar Jackson thing I don't know but that's going to give us something to talk about this offseason as well it seemed inevitable that they were just like you know keeping him ready or getting him ready for the playoffs keeping him out of the lineup and that once we actually reached a game that meant something seriously he'd be back out there and that's is not this, Is this Lamar?
1: Is it the team? Is the injury know. worse than we had anticipated? Remember, they were talking about him coming back at, at various points in December. Almost yeah. every week in December, he was like, close. Right.
0: But it's also the way they've communicated has been weird. Like, John Harbaugh has been acting confused about the injury. Like saying, I, you know, I don't know. I coach the guys that are here, blah. Like, he's not been sort of talking like a guy who has his finger on the pulse of what exactly is going on with this. And maybe that's just the way he wants it put out there. I just don't understand what's happening generally. You know, it's it's a weird dynamic here. Yeah. And Tyler Huntley hasn't been throwing their backup, so we
1: might be the other AFC game that might be with the third-string quarterback, Anthony Brown, here.
0: Yeah, and not in the good way like the Brock Purdy third-string. Not string. the Brock
1: Purdy third-string, no.
0: Yeah, like this is another game, I think, that gets essentially ruined if we're down to the third-string quarterback here, which looks like there's every... Every possibility that's gonna happen. Like we've seen we've seen what this looks like with Anthony Brown a quarterback, and it's not as good.
1: Oh man. Yeah, it's not I mean, this is a far more attractive game if uh if Lamar Jackson is a quarterback since he left, the Ravens have scored. What did he, uh what was his last game? Carolina uh Jacksonville. Since Lamar Jackson's been out of the lineup, the Ravens have scored 10, 16, 3, 17,
0: 13 and sixteen. Yeah. last week against Cincinnati. Right. I mean, if you look just his stat line in that Cincinnati game, it's pretty instructive. Like 19 of 44. Anthony Brown here. Yes, yeah. which is a completion rate of 43% uh, for 286 yards. Okay, that's fine. No touchdowns, two interceptions, three turnover-worthy plays. Um, like just – okay, there were some drops in there, but that's a passer rating of 46. It's a passing grade of 36. It's just – it's bad. Like this is – it's not a functional offense, really. It might be slightly more dangerous than what the Dolphins are able to trot out there with Skylar Thompson because at least he's athletic. He can make some plays on the ground, but it's not... like The Bengals have a legit good defense. It's right. not going to be enough to combat, to overcome that defense and to go to toe-to-toe with whatever Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and those guys are capable of doing on the other side.
1: T. Higgins practice yesterday, but not because of the hit he took Sunday. It was because of an illness. I think that's still... Uh we'll see what what comes of that but um Lamar Jackson by the way still the leading rusher just in rushing yards for the Ravens despite not playing this last month plus uh J.K. Dobbins Kenyon Drake Gus Edwards the three guys after him just in rushing yards when we're talking a blueprint for the Ravens to maybe pull the upset here you would think maybe it's the run game and keeping the ball away from Cincinnati and all that stuff but even with Tyler Huntley under under center down the stretch here, they've had games where they ran the ball really well and still couldn't put points on the board, right? Their, their lack of firepower has caught up more without Lamar Jackson in the lineup. They don't have those big plays that either Lamar could create with his legs or with his arm as, as effective as Huntley was maybe last year in a backup role. Wasn't the case this year. And again, Anthony Brown's not as good as Tyler Huntley. Yeah. So it's going to be a challenge, man. It's going to be a super – it's a huge challenge unless, of course, you win the turnover battle right. and have some explosives that you weren't expecting. uh, That's the key to victory this week for the Ravens.
0: The sort of most interesting report, I think, about the Lamar Jackson thing came from Jordan Schultz of The Score, who said Jackson is still dealing with, quote, extreme swelling and remains pretty limited, a source tells him. Um, He's told this has nothing to do with his contract, to which David Chow, pro football doc, says extreme swelling approaching six weeks post-PCL is unusual would mean grade three PCL or possible associated cartilage injury which will put potential surgery on the table contract related or not this is very bad news on Lamar Jackson so Dr. Chow does a pretty good job of diagnosing these injuries yeah and as of before this report he was like incredibly confident that Lamar would be playing based off the previous knowledge of that injury like just being a PCL yeah yeah is the kind of thing that again you should have put him back on the field essentially already um the fact that he isn't does say something weird is going on um like this so it it does seem like we're not going to see Lamar Jackson in the playoffs unfortunately (sighs) that is that is unfortunate and it
1: is um look you know me not trying to project too much into things and it 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 would be an easy storyline to be like well this is Lamar holding out he's upset he's upset about his contract the timing of this he does um, and there might be, there could be elements of, hey, he doesn't actually want to put him, yeah, I mean, put his health on the line. It's with just the bizarre contract. how. But I don't think he's like purposely screwing over the Ravens because he's felt screwed by them, basically.
0: It's just strange how non-communicative the Ravens have been right. with information about this injury. Now, maybe it's by design, right? Maybe they want teams wasting a week preparing for Lamar Jackson and then going, actually, he's not going to play. It's Anthony Brown. Um, Maybe that's the reasoning. Like every week they're relying on teams having to spend a a period of time thinking about Lamar Jackson only to say, no, he's not going to be here this week either. So maybe that's the reason. But because they're doing that, it does make everybody kind of go, is this Lamar Jackson whinging about his contract? Like, Is that what's going on here? Because the Ravens, this feels like an injury that should have been back already. The Ravens aren't really giving any details as to why that's not happening, leading everybody to just conclude, well, it must be Lamar then must be he doesn't want to come back at this point. Like, I don't know. The whole thing is a little bit weird from that point of view.
1: And then, you know, if you're a Ravens fan or just from that perspective, this is a tough season, man. I mean, you – if Lamar had not gotten hurt, you're sitting there competing with the Bengals that you're playing with this week. You're competing with them for the division. They were very much in that mix. Um, I also think it is fair – to say, hey, Lamar's gotten hurt each of the last two seasons. That's a factor, right? That's a factor in in the decision-making going forward and everything. Because the, the Ravens have this good roster, right? The, the biggest weakness is is that lack of firepower at, at receiver, right? A compliment to Mark Andrews. They haven't figured that out, and they can't handle it right now. But they just re-upped Roquan Smith. He's been playing great since becoming a Raven. They've got some playmakers on defense at every level. There's a lot to like about the Ravens in their roster, but they're without their quarterback, and they're without their backup. And uh, it's going to be a struggle, I think, against this really good Bengals team.
0: So the other interesting, or not interesting, the other important injury uh, information in this game is the Bengals lost Alex Kappa last week, Um, got carted out of that game, I think, or at least left the game injury. Give him a thumbs up. I don't know if that means well. So right as of yesterday, he was out at practice in one of those offensive line scooters, you know, like the four wheel things where you one knee is on them, the things that must be there must be some seriously impressive structural integrity to those things. Because at one point, like Trent Williams was going around on one of those things. Like, I mean, look, you know, as a, as a large man, like you got to get a check on the, the weight capacity of some of these things. Right. Yeah. If yeah. that thing's holding up Trent Williams and wheeling him around, that's some impressive construction.
1: Shout out to the scooter people. If you guys want to spon- sponsor the podcast, <laughs> uh, Sam's a
0: great advocate here. I mean, I just don't think I can I can stress it the way it needs to be stressed. You know what I mean? I'm not proving anything. I'm I only could. right. I'm only carting around 180 pounds on the four wheels. That's nothing. Um, Test out your scooters. If you want to see what near 300 pounders there you go look like. But anyway, we could we, you know maybe uh is out is the point you're you trying to make. You could use the scooter, and I could be on your shoulder. Oh, there we go. That, that's what there That's a lot of pounds. Trent Williams territory. Anyway, yes, Kappa is on a scooter at the moment, so he's probably not playing. Is my point. And that's after losing. Um, Lyle Collins a couple of weeks ago. So, all of a sudden, this revamped overhaul Bengals offensive line is starting to look like last year's offensive line. Now it's last year's playoff run. Yeah, which was bad. On the other hand, they showed last year they can't overcome it. Like, it's not necessarily a nail in the coffin. You know, they can get by this, but it's harder. I mean, it's a big thing when you upgrade multiple spots uh, along your offensive line, and all of a sudden, you're now going back to what it was before that where you needed the upgrade so you know the life of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and the entire offense is just being made incrementally harder every week they lose an offensive lineman last year Joe
1: Burrow took a sack on 27 percent
0: I mean remember they won the playoff game against Tennessee we got sacked nine times
1: yeah I was gonna pull out the playoff numbers here in a second 27 percent Of his pressure dropbacks last year. That's an extremely high number, one of the worst in the league. He improved to just 22 percent right? This is when there's pressure. Does it become a sack? Um, so he improved a little bit this year, 22%. It's still not great. Um, and yes, in the postseason, in a four-game stretch, uh Joe Burrow sacked four times. I mean, sorry, four teams, nineteen times last year. Thirty percent of his pressure dropbacks became sacks last year, including nine against Tennessee and seven against the Rams in the Super
0: Bowl. And he was playing out of his mind under pressure all last season at a level that feels kind of unsustainable. He's been pretty good under pressure this year and has obviously faced a lot less of it. Um, Again, it's not like it's – they can't overcome this, but it's hard. Um, And it's probably easier this week when you're facing Anthony Brown, but it's the kind of thing that, like, that reduces your margin for error against teams like Buffalo and Kansas City later in the playoffs. Um,
1: I know last week might not have been the best indication, but the Bengals had a ton of big play opportunities, um, some drops down the field. I think we're going to see their stars play like stars. Burrow, Chase, if Higgins is out there, they're tough to defend. So I like the Bengals, obviously, to win. Uh, the more we talk about this, of course, now the question is, will they cover the eight and a half here, Sam?
0: Um,
1: yes. I'm going to go – Baltimore's going to keep it at least close. They'll, uh, they'll scheme it enough, scheme it up enough to – take care of anthony brown keep it a little bit closer than they did maybe the familiarity helps them a little
0: bit we got another uh playoff bet want to take that one before before we get into this is that the joe mixon one yeah yeah i mean it, we kind of need to take it before this weekend is my only point yeah yeah we could I mean, do that the I don't, last podcast before I don't this care. weekend so yeah i understand I adam understand oswald uh says joe mixon will have the most rushing yards throughout the whole playoffs it's kind of like a, um, like an underdog type of bet, right? You're, you're banking
1: on they're going to play a lot, and that's where the bet's coming from. Yeah. So fine. I mean, so fine. I, mean I don't feel strongly against it, but we'll just – betting's fun, right, when <laughs> I'm only giving up a PFF plus. True.
0: Uh, yeah, well, let's take it.
1: Not my money. So let's do it. All right, let's get to Monday night. You're taking Cincy, by the way, right? I'll take Baltimore. Yep. This will be bad. Dallas Cowboys at the Tampa Bay box. Ooh. Cowboys favored by two and a half in this one. Tons of stories, of course, in this one. Uh, Dallas coming off their disastrous Week 18 game against Washington didn't ultimately matter in the standings or anything. It just mattered with trying to figure out what does it mean going forward. Dak's got a million interceptions. Most of them aren't his fault. Last week they were, and you're going up against a Bucks team that won the division. They were eight and eight before they sat most of their starters. Most of the game fall to eight and nine last week, but they're certainly not a powerful looking playoff team in tampa bay despite having tom brady mike evans chris godwin and and everything that they have there so in this one dallas who looks like a super bowl contender brady and the bucks who just won the super bowl two years ago looked nothing like a super bowl contender but can they turn it on for another playoff push before tom brady turns 46 next season
0: yeah it's a it's a game between two underachieving teams the only difference is that one of them has only been underachieving for like the last few weeks whereas the bucks have been this team all the way through the season like you know they've been bumbling their way through the year and we were saying from very early on that the inevitable conclusion of this was probably they're going to make the playoffs re- almost regardless of what happens it would take a lot for them to screw it up they didn't quite screw it up but they didn't really get it together either so now we're still relying on this idea of can they just turn it on? Like, can Tom Brady, does magic happen when Tom Brady wakes up on a Sunday and it's, it's playoff football as opposed to just regular football where it doesn't really matter if you lose, right? Now, you lose, you go home. It's Tom Brady's time. He's the greatest playoff quarterback in NFL history in addition to just being the greatest quarterback of NFL history. Does he have the capacity to just flip a switch and transform the offense? Because if he doesn't, Then the only question is, well, does Dallas get itself together for one game, or does there like, do they have the reverse magic where once they wake up on a Sunday and it's the playoffs, everybody just shits the bed and they can't play?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of the interesting stories here. You had mentioned a few weeks ago, right? These two teams have played twice over the last two years, uh, both in Week One. The Bucs are two and zero against the Cowboys these last couple weeks, these last couple years. Does that even matter, right? I mean the the, the first game of the two thousand twenty-one season, I mean, that's not even close to the same Bucks team right now. Right. The beginning of this season, week one, also doesn't look anything, you know, we didn't know that the Bucks would be as bad as they were offensively. There was probably hints in there. They won nineteen to three. But that was also it looked dire for da- for Dallas coming out of that game. Not only did Dak get hurt at the end of the game, coming off an off season where it looked like they took a chance getting worse on the offensive line, getting worse at receiver because by trading Amari Cooper. They didn't have any answers for this Bucks defense, right? They made the Bucs defense look like the 85 Bears in week one of the season. Then Dak gets hurt, sits out a few weeks, and Dallas all of a sudden becomes this Super Bowl contender because turns out that one week didn't matter a ton. They're, they are a very good team. But Dak Prescott's two worst games, 37 grade in week one against the Bucks, last week 45 grade against Washington do any of those things matter the fact that he had a bad game against Tampa Bay in week one couldn't complete a pass then and couldn't complete a pass last week against Washington the last thing that we saw
0: uh I mean not hugely I don't think um Tampa Bay one of Dallas's strengths has been that defense has been incredible a lot of the things we thought were unsustainable last year turnovers that kind of thing have actually Stayed where they were. Like okay, Trayvon Diggs didn't get eleven of them, but the defense as a whole has been getting a ton of pressure. They lead or they lead the league in I think pressure rate and turnovers this season, which is pretty crazy. That's the recipe generally for a very good defense. Um, But one of the things that's been propping up that Tampa Bay offensive line all season is that Tom Brady has the fastest average time to throw in the league, all the way through the year. Pillar to post. So how much can taking how much can getting the ball out of his hands quickly eliminate the threat of Micah Parsons or at least reduce it dramatically and the rest of that defensive line Um, because if Parsons doesn't have that kind of big game if they can't force turnovers from Tom Brady then their offense is back under pressure and Dak actually needs to fire
1: I forget who said it to me this week but somebody said basically because it's the playoffs does Tom is Tom Brady willing to take a hit now right because he he's been getting rid of the ball unbelievably quick not because the pass is always open because he's there's a little self-preservation in there a little lack of trust and everything is he a little bit more willing to stand in there take a few hits and get the ball down the field more um, because dallas is their their pass rush hasn't been as good in recent weeks but they're obviously very capable micah parsons in his nfl debut was whooping tristan Wirfs, who's one of the best right tackles in the nfl right he's beating him with a spin move and all that stuff Um, Again, Tampa Bay still had pretty good success offensively against this Dallas team. But if if Brady's under pressure 40% of the time, 35% of the time, Tampa Bay's got no shot. But you might want to invite the pressure a little bit more so you can make those downfield plays, right? And when we talk about can Brady just turn it on, it's him and Mike Evans, right? I know this was just one random game, and it happened to be two weeks ago. But the playoffs were on the line, and all of a sudden they look like it was two years ago, Brady to Evans, deep ball, It was one of the best games Brady's ever played, right? So he still has this in him, and Evans still has it in him. Can they create those explosives against Dallas?
0: Yeah, I mean, the last couple of weeks, though, you would say that it's kind of been playoff football for Tampa Bay in that they they sort of needed wins at some point, right? Two of the last three weeks, he's had had an average time to throw under two seconds. Yeah, Uh, And the third one, it was 2.36. So it's not like... In the, the last couple of games where they really needed something he held on to it a bit longer to, you know give his guys a little bit more of a chance he's still been getting rid of the ball i don't really think that's necessarily going to change i think brady's going to get rid of the ball quick if dallas's pass rush can't slow him down or get there anyway then the pressure goes back on dak prescott and that offense to say all right You've been stumbling. You've been making mistakes. You've been turning the ball over. You got to stop that now because the defense isn't going to bail you out in this game necessarily. Um, just to
1: just to finish on the Bucks' offense versus the Cowboys' defense a little bit here, the weakness for Dallas has been cornerback opposite Trayvon Diggs. Right, this it's been this revolving door. Kelvin Joseph's been out there. He's gotten torched a little bit. Nashawn Wright's been on out there. Um, Deron Brand's, Bland has been good pl- playing more in the slot role, but that cornerback spot opposite. Travon Diggs. My question from a Bucks perspective, historically, if Bra- a Brady-led team, if there's a weak corner, they attack that player, right? They usually do that. It's been less so with Leftwich in the Bucs, right? It's it's more of a, we're going to run some plays and hit the open guy, you know? Um, I'm curious how much how much does Brady take over in the playoffs here and say, look, we're going to attack this weakness. We're attacking opposite Trayvon Diggs. I think they'll attack Diggs a little bit too, right? With a couple double moves here and there. You want to You know, bait him a little bit, take advantage of his aggressiveness. But I think I think Tampa's got to come out of their shell a little bit, run more play action, as we've said all season, and and attack the weaknesses in Dallas. And and if they do that, Tampa Bay has an opportunity to believe it to pull the upset. Right? It's an upset because Dallas is a much better team this year. They are, but Dallas has also had some horrible games this year, including last week. Right? They are a little volatile. If they all play to their ability, Dallas is the better team. Top to bottom.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the other question is does Tom Brady just take over this offense? Does he just say, All right, I let you guys do it all the way through the regular season. I gave you the chance to find to figure it out, and now I'm done. Now it matters. Now I can't lose a game, so I'm running this thing. I'm the captain now. Is that like is that what we're gonna have for Brady now? Like we we had the whole time of the, the regular season, we maybe threatened it in one half of football and then we kinda threatened it for another game. And it just it never really happened. So now Brady's just going to go, I'm running this offense for the duration of the playoffs. I'm leaving anyway. There's nothing you can do to me. I don't care. <laughs> Put, install whatever dumbass game plan you want. I am taking control once we get to game day and we're running this thing the way I want to run it.
1: That's the other thing, too. Like We've seen Tampa Bay, uh, there's been three fourth quarter 10-point comebacks this year for the Bucks. right? For whatever that's worth. Either they're just bad and they, they ran into some late Tom Brady magic, right? You make these 10-point comebacks late in the game. Or they were, you know, keeping themselves, holding themselves down with bad game plans. And then finally when Brady takes over at the two-minute drill, who knows if that comes up in this game, right? Dallas is the better team. They're up 10 points in the fourth quarter. And then you get to see, again, playoff Brady, you know, in a, in a comeback situation. And it doesn't mean he's always won, right? Last year they lost to the Rams in the second round in one of these crazy games where they were down 27-3. to 3. But storyline-wise, that's all fun, right? Brady's in the playoffs. He's got every single record. Is this the last hurrah? Is it the last one with Tampa Bay? That storyline's fun and good. Other side of the ball, Dallas. We know the volatility of uh, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones. And if, you know, if Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys lose, everybody's talking. They're going to they're gonna boot him out and go get Sean Payton. There's a lot on the line here. Last year, they had a home game against the Niners and lost. Wild card round, they lost. Remember, Dak runs the QB draw to get into field goal range, and they just mismanaged mm-hmm. the time. Right, every Cowboys playoff loss or game is really dramatic, right? Because they they want to get back to that mid '90s promised land. So, can Dak, the offense, and that defense pull it off this week?
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where I don't think um, you know. You look at these sort of historical trends things, and when you start going beyond like two years, there's like three players on that team that are still on the team. You know what I mean? So, from a players that were directly their standpoint i don't think those things mean an awful lot but i do think there's something to like institutional pressure like dallas knows everybody in that room knows the kind of run they've been on in the playoffs the fact that they're a meme for not winning playoff games the fact that jerry jones wants nothing in the world more than he wants another super bowl and playoff victories they're under a different type of pressure to almost any other team entering the playoffs like they i think are going to feel it differently so for a guy like Dak, who's coming into the postseason off on the back of a crappy game and has already taken crap from the media for a bunch of interceptions, even if they weren't necessarily on him, isn't playing his best game generally this season, Dak Prescott has to be under a lot of pressure in this game. And okay, he has the ability and they have the personnel like across the board to make it work, but I wouldn't underestimate like the the sort of suffocating impact that that kind of pressure can have on them
1: yeah i mean coming off that terrible game now again i don't think dax had a bad season i think he's had a a good solid season with two really really bad games in there and and they're bookend games first and last games for dak prescott but when you add the whole thing up and it's a smaller sample size because of his injury dax has his worst grade since his second year in the league and remember there was a point in his career where we said awesome rookie season for dak prescott Hit a bit of a lull years two and three, Amari Cooper shows up, and boom, things are things are back on track. Right, the in Dak Prescott played like a top eight quarterback for the next three years. He hasn't been that guy this year. The offense has been really effective, though. Isn't also outside though, of the turnovers, right? They've been really effective.
0: Isn't it also another example of any time you screw with that guy's supporting cast in any capacity, his play drops immediately. That is how you've described him. Yeah, that is you know it's been his career if if the
1: knobs are turned too much right that it affects the the output yeah um i still think he's a very good quarterback i still think he's good but i wonder how much now the the early season question marks about receiver depth end up coming back to bite cd lamb is a stud man he's awesome right he's going to get open he's going to do his thing but i think it might be a dalton schultz game the bucks are seventh uh, seventh best epa per play allowed against uh, when targeted receivers against targeted receivers i think cd lamb will get his but I think it's going to be a middle of the field Dalton Schultz type of game. I don't know if Dallas will run the ball effectively. They haven't run well the last few weeks in Tampa Bay. Their run defense is hit or miss, but they have games where they completely shut it down. So I think we're looking at Dak versus Brady. You know, kind of not a shootout necessarily, but pressures on both quarterbacks head to head in this one.
0: Yeah, and Dallas, remember, have been reshuffling that offensive line for a while now. Right. Otis um, is questionable, but I don't know if he's back
1: in time here. For yeah.
0: Us. And even if he is if he's you know questionable coming into a game off an injury probably not 100 now you want an undersized center that isn't 100 percent trying to block Vita Vea. you know what i mean um but they've like they finally kicked tyler smith back into left guard which is where he's supposed to be when they drafted him only he never ended up playing there because of injuries tyron smith comes back he's playing right tackle because Terrence Steele goes down Jason Peters, who they'd been kind of getting snaps here or there. Maybe he was the right tackle plan. We talked about what a potential disaster that could be. He's now playing left tackle. Like, all of a sudden, this line is completely different than it was when it started, except Zach Martin, who's been the, the ever-present at the right guard. But everything else is different. And whether or not individually those guys are all playing at a similar level or a reasonable level, there's something to offensive line cohesion and just five guys knowing who the other five guys are And when you look at some of the best offensive lines in the NFL this season generally there's it's a lot of ones that had stability like the Eagles had the same five guys except for the last couple of games without Lane Johnson and when he wasn't there it made a difference Um, Pittsburgh's offensive line it's not amazing but pass blocking wise it's been pretty good they've had the same five guys pretty much all season long I mean Tyron Smith's four
1: weeks of grading though kind of tell the story he's been in the high 50s low 60s right and it's not a knock on him as a player that's kind of isn't that the expected output for a career left tackle, moving back to right tackle for the first time since his rookie season? You shouldn't be dominant, right? Even Panay Sewell, when he first moved to right tackle in the preseason, couldn't block anybody right. for about six weeks, for maybe ten weeks, actually, preseason plus the first six weeks of the regular season. But then
0: he flipped back and he was fine.
1: Yeah, and then he flipped back, he was fine, and now he's, but now he's one of the best right tackles in the NFL. Different situation, but – also, similar because you're talking about a guy who was so used to one side and flipped and, and struggled with it. So, yeah, it is the O line is worse right now because of all those injuries and, and the reshuffling that's gone on there. All that said, is this, you know, let's go down narrative street really quick. Dak is trying to be that Dallas Cowboys quarterback to get them back to the promised land. Is Mike McCarthy's job really on the line? Not only this week, but next week too, right? If you lose to Philly in yeah. round two. I mean, is the job on the line for McCarthy? Because you know and certainly this week.
0: I mean, if they right, go definitely this week. It depends go, on how it happens, too, right? If they go one and done again, I mean, I don't think there's any way Jerry Jones is keeping patience with the group and going, no, this is okay. This is fine. Next next year's the year. I think he's like, fire everybody, get me Sean Payton. Stat. Yeah, yeah we're either, I mean,
1: we're waking up Tuesday morning, either talking about disaster in Dallas. You know, how much does Sean Payton actually want? You know, give him a blank check. Or the end, potentially the end of the Brady era in Tampa Bay. Is Brady going to retire? Where's he going to sign in free agency? What happened this last season? Does he regret coming back? I mean, that's what we're talking about Tuesday morning. One of those two things, right? That's it. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's on the line here. I mean, there's one, there's two narratives. There's only two narratives. <laughs> Competing narratives. No matter what happens in the game, that's what comes out of it. Right? What are you rooting
0: for? Which one is more compelling? I don't... I don't root... We shouldn't be rooting for disaster. No, but you always root for the funniest story. Like, my my sequencing, right, for things I root for is, one, what is the funniest thing that can happen? Always number one. What is the single funniest thing that can happen in this game? That's what I want to happen. Two, like, what is the most unpleasant person that could have something unfortunate happen in this game? Well, by unfortunate, I don't mean injury. But I mean, like, if Jerry Jones gets something out of the playoffs again, it'd be kind of... A, it would be funny. You'll, you'll think that's funny. And yeah. B... You know i'm okay with that i so, would
1: say that with brady making a you know one of those classic fourth quarter complex, yeah but then right? a fourth quarter collapse by dallas where brady's brady for the first three quarters of the game everybody's like brady's cooked brady's cooked right. brady's cooked and then he
0: so number know, three in my sequencing is like is sort of compelling story you know the classic hollywood tale like what's the most hollywood story that can come out of this game and then i think four is probably who's the underdog always for the underdog but only after funny yeah. and you know and schadenfreude
1: i mean brady's brady's the hollywood story because yes he's 45 and anytime he does any of this stuff right. it's like wow that's incredible what he's doing um the funny is absolutely anything dallas related
0: well the funny brady's,
1: thing... brady's still playing with house money right it doesn't like they could lose 30 to yeah. nothing it's like who cares the
0: funny is absolutely dallas losing and it's probably via a ridiculous method yeah you like last year where they butchered spiking the ball and you know running out of time that's what you're rooting for it's that kind of thing right it's you're looking
1: for some like really good monday morning tuesday morning hot takes and it's like dallas has this game in
0: hand and then somehow somebody does the um you know somebody does the jacoby myers play right something like that like that's the that's how they lose and all of a sudden that's the dallas playoff loss streak continuing and on the byproduct we have tom brady also at 45 or whatever still can get it done i'll say this it, this is a tough game for both teams, right? It, both
1: teams, um, going, if they have to play Philly in round two, that's probably their toughest game. But if, you, if either team gets by this, there's a path to the Super Bowl, right? The Niners are really good, but it's a Brock Purdy-led team. The Eagles have shown a little weakness the last couple of weeks, and the Cowboys have done a really nice job against that Eagles defense now. There's a yeah. path to the Super Bowl if you get past wildcard weekend, Bucks or Cowboys.
0: I mean, look, for, there's a path here. I think Dallas as much as they've been underachieving in recent weeks showed earlier in the year that this is a team capable of beating anybody in the NFC and therefore going to the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay, I think it's probably harder to make, make that argument cuz they've been pretty bad for most of the year, but you're always falling back on it's Tom Brady, you know, Canton like Tom Brady can turn it on in the postseason he just doesn't lose in the postseason that's that's not what he does so as like no matter how many weeks you see this mediocrity from Tampa Bay you can never quite write off the idea that he will just take over and do what he does and win these games so I would say it's very unlikely that Tampa Bay can go on any kind of run because there's just been no evidence of it this year but because despite the fact that there's been no evidence you know that Tom Brady has the capacity to do that. Even this version of Tom Brady, like the 45-year-old guy who hasn't looked like himself this year, and a lot of people want to say is cooked and done. This version of Tom Brady, I think, is capable of turning it on and going on a run. You know, just to put a bow on that too, Brady has graded better than Dak Prescott now during the season, comfortably better. And
1: Dallas's offense, though, has been far more effective than Tampa Bay. Right. Um, Kellen Moore, I think, has has had a good year as offensive coordinator. I think the Bucks, uh, in part two, the Dallas can run the ball or has run the ball far better than the Bucs, right? There's no, no efficiency in the Bucks' running game and they haven't really schemed it up all that well. So coaching could end up being the difference here as well.
0: Yeah. I mean the Bucks rank,
1: uh, where are we here? They're historically bad from like a run game perspective, rushing yards. They rank
0: 21st in EPA per play on offense, but Tom Brady, ranks uh the pass game is closer to 10th or so right yeah but in terms of pff grade oh great he's uh
1: yeah 10th overall passing grades like 7th or something I
0: think. yeah he's 7th yeah 7th passing grade 10th overall um and yet it's resulting in an offense that's 21st in epa per play so the point being like tom brady is not the problem here okay seventh slash 10th is still dramatically worse than a year ago where he was what yeah, he's not near, he's not as good as he's been the last right. couple of years for sure but he isn't cooked and you're right. not looking at a guy who is like oh it's not, again it's not the Peyton Manning thing where whether it's 2014 or 15 Peyton Manning where you could see it coming like 2014 deep ball disappeared 2015 everything disappeared you could see physically he wasn't capable of making the plays that he was capable of making before Brady's shown even the last couple of weeks he's still capable of making all the plays he used to make it's just collectively it's not working all right it's gonna be a fun one
1: our uh do we make any picks yet here no where you going Tampa Bay Tampa Bay to cover the two and a half because it's funnier because it's funnier I'll take Dallas I think I I've I've been in on this narrative that you know maybe McCarthy's not his jobs on the line but people are gonna react like that right but I'm I'm trying not to overreact to last week with Dallas
0: it's not just last week
1: though it's been it? a few weeks it's been a few weeks where the pass rush hasn't been good cornerback too i think i would take tampa bay if i felt confident that byron Leftwich which in that offense would attack dallas's <laughs> that weaknesses they stink. that they would well, that they would attack the weaknesses of dallas's defense and they would put points up and then it'd be you know see what the tampa bay defense can do against dak prescott i just i don't know if i have enough faith in that right now
0: mm-hmm.
1: from a bucks perspective i'll take dallas to cover the two and a half all right look at that crisp show When you only have six games. Yeah. Um, Do we want to hint at our big special announcement here? Sure. What did did we decide?
0: (laughs) Well, we are going to be adding shows to the PFF NFL podcast. Uh, Whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're listening in audio format, there's going to be more of me and you coming to us. There's also going to be more of uh, Mike Renner, who's going to be rejoining the show in some capacity. So we're going to be starting up draft conversations That's going to be certainly one of the shows going forward. Um, I think all the details are still to be ironed out, including what it means for the PFF NFL Daily. But, uh, yeah, there's going to be more stuff coming. So stay tuned.
1: Yeah. So just uh, more content, uh, a slightly different voice in Mike Renner, a younger voice much younger, in Mike Renner. Millennial
0: voice. Millennial voice.
1: Not this. uh, Boomer. (laughs) I'm not Boomer. We're borderline boomers. We're Xennials. A millennial voice to the Xennials. Getting Renner in the mix. Um, obviously draft is his expertise so timing is great there we'll talk a lot during the offseason free agency draft discussions all going to be fun but um we're looking at coming at you at least one more day a week soon and then maybe five days a week with the pff nfl podcast both audio and visual form here Mm -hmm. on youtube so um if you're not subscribed yet to the youtube channel you got to do that because you know, we're going to be uh, dominating the YouTube airwaves here on the PFF channel. So hit that subscribe button and be, hit that thumbs up on the way out. It's
0: going to be very much a, a PFF podcast YouTube channel. Yeah,
1: maybe I'll be begging more for the subscribe than the thumbs up going forward. That might well, be better. Look, it feels like it's a long-term. At the very play.
0: minimum, if you like the idea of that, you should be hitting the like button right now. You should be. It's an obvious indication, and then you should be subscribing. We're asking for one more click. Click subscribe. Click. When you uh, we're, at some point you're going to be one of these people that I see everywhere on YouTube that's like hit the like button and then hit the like well no hit the subscribe button and then like the real subscribe button which is the notifications. Then thing. you
1: have to do the notification, yeah. right? Yeah. Because
0: otherwise you yeah. like, you never see it, right? And if yeah. Tyler was slick back there, I could point right to it and it would like pop up right on you know and you just right. click it right there you on the. Probably got to give him some preparation for that. No, no, I'm not saying right now, yeah. but in the future we'll right. do that. But it's like you're going to be one of these people that's like begging for the uh, the notifications thing. You know, hit the subscribe button and then the notification. And the notification. So you actually
1: see us. And like on your way out. And I'll tell you why. It's because of the algorithm and, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're excited. More PFF NFL podcast for us and for you. So, and we can only do that because we have great listeners, great viewers, and we appreciate everybody who's with us for all these shows and hanging hanging around for all the time that you guys invest in in listening and watching. So thank you to everybody. All right, that's it. Wild card Weekend. We'll be back as usual Monday morning reviewing all of the Wild card Action. We'll see you then.